everyone. Welcome, my friends. I feel like I haven't seen you guys in forever. I've been in Mexico. Cancun took my voice, but I took that damn dance floor back with me, and that's Property of America. General Santa Ana, if you have a problem with it, come pry it for my cold American fingers. I am back, and we are talking defense, baby. On the bench, unit preview series. We are number two. Brendan and the Teen Titans did a phenomenal job yesterday talking about the offense, but now it's time to go away from the kids' table and let the adults speak. So I'm here with Adam. Kevin, who actually is probably younger than all the guys I listed, but he's an old soul, <laughs> and Chris Nee, the godfather. We are going to be talking about FSU's defense, what we think about each position group, new assistant coaches, come on, let's go, and a unit that has had a lot of investment from the transfer portal. Very, very exciting additions. Please, if you guys are listening to us on the bench, we love you, our audio peeps. Five-star reviews, all the good stuff. Tell your friends if you're watching us live on the YouTubes. We love you. Get in the comments. Hit us up with a little, like, uh, whatever, some engagement, likes, everything, yada, 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 <laughs> anything. Adam, how you doing, guys? I feel like I haven't seen you in forever. I know. So, I was so happy to see your face pop up here that I know you survived Mexico. <laughs> it's a close one. <laughs> it looks good, man. It's been a, it has been going on around the Florida State football program. I mean, it's been nonstop action, so. I missed all of it, dude. I Daryl Jackson, what? Missed it all. Too busy in the pool, man. It was good stuff. I can't wait to get into all of it. Kevin, how are you feeling? We're talking defense. I feel like you've been higher on the Florida State defense than some of the detractors, so I can't wait to give your perspective on it, man. How are you feeling? We're talking defense, brother. Yeah, I, I hope we can get a little bit into the weeds. I've got a chalkboard pulled up just, just in case I know, the always conversation do. goes that direction. Always but, um, do. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about it. Uh, we'll get weedy, my man. Uh, <laughs> I was in Mexico. Chris, Papa Bear, how you feeling, man? We're talking FSU's defense. You've had some fun comments about FSU's uh, defensive philosophy. I can't wait to pick that wonderful brain of yours. Yeah, it's, uh, FSU's defense makes me feel all kinds of ways. Good well, and well, that, <laughs> well, that's fantastic because that was my first question. How did last year's defense make you feel? Well, Chris... Describe all those kinds of ways that it did. What 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 did you love? What did you hate? Strengths, weaknesses? What was your overall um, opinion of the unit's output last year or this year? In, in general, good, productive, good at limiting yards. A lot of statistical categories you can look at where FSU's defense performed at a very high level. I did not think in the first half of the year and some of this coincides with Fabian Lovett getting hurt that they were particularly good at creating chaos at the point of attack. That got better as the year waned on uh they got to create more turnovers that's an area where i think next year and some turnovers are just purely luck but still in general fsu's defense has to become a better turnover creation defense and that's something that the coaching staff certainly wants i mean adam fuller bangs the drum for turnovers constantly during the offseason there's a reason for it he wants to see them in games uh it, it, it's a weird deal i mean it, it's defense at fsu creates a lot of interest and discussion between groups like ours, people on message boards, just in general. And I think it's because FS, a lot of FSU fans feel like for this team to go from 10 wins to something bigger, it's going to have to lean in on the defense being the one that creates a bit of a difference because the offense has already gotten to a point where it's pretty impressive. Some would throw around the word elite, but we know I don't like to use that word too No, much. no, 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 no. So, 
Yeah, it's it's a weird relationship. I, I I think the defense is very capable. I think they've gone out and gotten some pieces that they needed to get. I think there are some pieces returning that need to take another step or return to some old form. Uh, high Duke Cooper, you know, become more like your freshman self than your sophomore self, for example. So, like, I have a wait-and-see attitude with it. I was never in the boat of, hey, let's fire people. But there is more needed to be seen from the defense for this team to do what the expectations are starting to trend towards for 2023. And I think it's such like a lightning rod for conversation, like you said, Chris, because the potential's there. The offense, I think, is going to be even better than it was this year, but it was already one of the top units in the country. The defense, you could see, like, if you were looking at somebody taking a shower through, like, a frosted glass window, you can kind of, like, make out the shape. Like, hey, this is okay. Could be good. Could be bad. There's just potential there. We left some meat on the bone, right, guys? We were good at limiting the big play until we weren't. I just – what are your thoughts on the defense, Adam? And Chris talked about it. Chaos creation. Turnover creation. Things that did get better throughout the year but still – we were a take all the body shots, but don't get knocked out kind of defense, right? I think there's so much gray area that is involved with this conversation. And, and right now, everybody's, everybody is taking their stance. It was good. It was middling. It was, you know, they're, everybody's trying to find where they stand on this defense. And I don't feel like you can do that with this conversation. It's so, it's so gray. Were they really good in all these statistical categories? Absolutely when they played good teams and I've heard everybody talk about, okay, when they played good offenses, when they played good quarterbacks, yada, 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 they did this, this, or this, this, and this happened to them. Well, when they played good offensive lines, they got pushed around and any defense that gets pushed around up front is going to struggle to make stops. I mean, just look, TCU is a pretty good defense. And I know we're talking, this is way outside the realm because Georgia's an elite football program right now, but TCU is a pretty good defense all year long. And they just got destroyed because they couldn't they couldn't hold up up front. And in the end, when you can't hold up up front, we saw it against Florida. We saw it against uh, Oklahoma with backups in there. Um, we saw Wake Forest run the football, and they were a terrible running run, football running team. But they were able to go and line up against this defensive line and move them. Um, and I think that that's why we've seen it become such a priority that we'll get into later. But when you're getting moved up front, you're never going to be an elite defense. Can you be good? Sure. Were they forced to play uh, too high safeties most of the season because they didn't trust their cornerbacks? Absolutely. Do I think they need to be more, um, have more variety with their scheme? One thousand uh, percent. I was watching Georgia. I was watching the Georgia game the other night. They attack your protections. Florida State doesn't do that. They're going to say, "Okay, we're going to rush four, and they're going to come from the same spot all the time." Well, that's a problem because in a, in a Adam Fuller came into the, into Florida state, talked about wanting to be an attack, having an attack mindset, wanting to be offensive minded on defense. Well, he's not doing that when you line four guys up on the front and bring them from the same spots all the time. If you're not attacking occasionally, right. If you're not attacking what they're, what the offense is trying to do, if you're not attacking their weaknesses and their protections and whatnot, then you're just giving them free yards, essentially. Um, so were they good? Yeah. Did they got to get better? Yeah. Like all these stances and all these, oh, they should fire out and four. Oh, he's great. It's not, it's not that cut and dry. I thought it was pretty evident to see, and you could literally see it. I think one of the best examples of it was actually the first game they played. The ones win healthy 
was a really good defensive unit. They bottled up LSU all night long with a quarterback that was extremely dangerous, Kayshawn Boutte, all those dudes. Like they, they did a wonderful job, and that was kind of like a high watermark for the defense. You could see that Florida State, and this is really what they focused on, and Norvell has said it, right? Championship-level depth competition. The depth wasn't there. The ones were a really good unit. Like, it was a really good defensive unit when healthy. When Tatum Bethune could play like Tatum Bethune, when Fabian Lovett was healthy, man, the potential was there. It's just, and I think that's a lot of stuff that they addressed in the offseason. Kevin, one thing that they did address in the offseason, um, whether that was intentional or not intentional, we got a new defensive back coach, Finn's <laughs> up, Pat Sertan. Now, the boys yesterday, Brendan and the Spirit Squad, did a wonderful job talking about this. I would like to have our thoughts on it as well. Kevin, what are your thoughts on the hire? What are your thoughts about FSU's, the defensive coverage philosophy that they played last year? Yeah, so I, I think we could probably talk about that more. I don't think it relates necessarily directly to Sertan. I, I don't know how much he's going to have impact on on coverage choice or coverage scheme and fair I enough yeah. i don't know how much you, you really are i guess technique this. what did you think about that we'll, we'll talk about the i think the philosophy when we get into the weeds with your with your uh with your blackboard what did you think about florida state's cornerback technique last year yeah so i think i think that's a really complicated question to answer um well you're an interesting mind <laughs> um because th- there are certain times when you can point to their technique and it looks good right i, I think renardo green had a couple of plays where, where he genuinely played played a, about as well as you can. Um, and I think a lot of people are going to be upset that, you know, they don't turn their head around to play the ball. And I think that has a lot to do with, with how they played their coverage and less to do with how the DBs were coached. Taught, yeah. Like, I, I think the DBs were taught that specifically because, you know, when you have a safety over the top, you're supposed to lock and trail the guy. You're supposed to be keeping those underneath routes from happening. So, you know, you're, you're kind of slightly behind the receiver. You're not in a position to make a play on an over-the-top throw necessarily. So there, there are some, some criticism and that come their way that I don't think is necessarily fair. But I do think that the corners just haven't been very physical, haven't been able to kind of disrupt the route at the, at the line of scrimmage. No. And even though Fuller doesn't do a ton of that, I do think that if they were able to do it effectively, that that's a tool that they didn't really have in their toolkit last year. When teams were open against FSU, they were open. Like there were some just cavernous, cavernous openings. Uh, Kev, just before I get to Chris, do you like the hire? Or do you not like the hire? It's a little unconventional, but I think it's got a really high ceiling. I think you got to love the hire, right? So I yeah, there we go. We we're saying beforehand, if Fuller is this you know, schematic guy that you're trying to sell him as, right? This, I mean, he's clearly not the recruiter, so he's got to be the scheme guy. He's got to be the the coach on some level, and you can make an argument for his safety play. has been pretty pretty decent since he's been here. But you want to back him up with someone with, with good ties to good defensive backs, and I think that's exactly what you do with Sertan. I think he's, you know, he's he's been in Miami for a long time. He coached high school state championships there he was a hall of hall of fame nfl player I'm, I'm not should be i don't know if he is but he is in my book dolphin hall of fame yeah dolphin, dolphin hall of fame there you <laughs> go um yeah so he's got all the connections he's got what you want he's he's a face to the to the recruiting in the in miami and i think that's what you needed to kind of round out the defensive staff here 
I agree. Chris, what do you think? You are very you are intimately <clears throat> familiar with recruiting in the state of Florida. Defensive backs that have come from American Heritage while Sertan was there have a um they have a reputation for being very well coached, coming out with great technique. His son is the one of the best, if not the best, defensive back in the entire NFL. What do you think about the hire? I think Pat's a great hire. I know Pat. Um, I've known him for years. Oh, I didn't Between realize. being an American Heritage coach, uh, you know, his relationship with Sam Madison. Sam has some ties up to the Tallahassee area. He played at Family DRS back in the day. Him and Pat are best friends. They coach together with the Dolphins currently. They obviously played together. They've done camps and stuff like that together. I think Pat's an excellent hire for what they were trying to get there, which is a guy who will have a strong voice in the room. I think a different voice in that room may uh, be an interesting thing to follow and pay attention to. I think there are some guys in that room who probably needed a different voice Mm -hmm. for whatever reason. And that's usually true with most rooms. I'm not trying to create some bigger storyline than there should be. I just think a fresh voice in that room may pay off with some guys who probably needed that. Uh, But Pat can coach. He knows what the position demands. He's seen recruiting from pretty much every angle as a head coach with a lot of kids that went to a lot of different places, obviously as a father with a son who went to one of the best schools in the country is now playing in the NFL. And he's obviously the guy that experienced that for himself when he went to Southern Miss and then obviously to the pros. So I think there's just a lot of life experience there. I think he's a good coach. I think he's a smart dude. I think he knows how to play the position. I think it's, uh, you know, I love saying checks all the boxes. I feel like that hire in a lot of ways does check all the boxes. Yeah, it does. Adam, you're a disgusting Eagles fan. Can you just, can you, can you appreciate what a wonderful hire this is? Yeah. You nasty, uh, nasty, fake Philadelphian guy from actual Delaware. Hey, everything's flying through Philly this offseason. Um, yeah, no, I, or postseason. Yeah, I, I'm really excited about the hire. Just removing the recruiting stuff from it. I feel like he's going to bring an accountability to the room. Um, and, you know, like, like Kevin was pointing to a lot of the guys that have come through American Heritage, his son mainly, uh, they, there's a there has been a very disciplined brand of football played at that school for a very long time, and he was a part of that. Uh, I think that accountability and discipline was something that was really needed in that room, and I it wasn't necessarily technique that I thought was the issue. It was just the lapses of focus, and mm. some of that comes from the voice that's leading the room. Um, so I'm excited about that that aspect. Uh, you know, I don't know anything about him as a teacher, so it's hard to it's hard to say. Um, I, I would believe you probably weren't the head coach in American heritage if you couldn't teach the game of football. So I, you know, I'm going to take some, take some guesses that he's probably pretty good at it. We'll see. Um, a lot of people are speaking very highly coming out of the uh, Dolphins organization about him. So I, this is one that, I, yeah, this, this, this one, to pull, to pull Chris, it checks all the boxes for me, too. Absolutely right. And that's a first-class organization, so you take everything that they say as gospel. Kevin, pull up that beautiful blackboard. We just need him to lose this weekend. And let's shush, fool. Um, put up that, pull up that blackboard, um, Kevin. Uh, and let's just talk about some of the things, and we'll try to describe it for the people that are listening via audio. What Florida State did, what it looked like from a schematic perspective in 2022, and maybe with some of these new additions, we're going to do a positional breakdown. What you think they might try to add in for 2023? Yeah, so uh, I think AB covered a little bit of this, and feel free to jump in because we've been getting, uh, we've been watching through a lot of clips with with a, a good coaching buddy of ours to kind of validate kind of what what we've been seeing and kind of have that conversation. So shout out to, to Caleb. Um, so really what it seems like is, is Florida state didn't trust their corners and coverage for whatever reason, 
uh, be it injuries or uh, just a lack of, of depth or there was no trust there. So uh, what you ended up seeing, so let's, let's imagine a trips set. So a, a, a situation where there's three receivers to one side, um, instead of just allowing the nickel corner and the corner to man up on their guy, uh, they felt that, that they needed to kind of cap these guys with, with a third, with the safety, right? So it's a three, three on over two. two situation, mm-hmm. right? So you're permanently dedicating this one safety to protect your nickel corner and your, and your boundary and your field corner. So you're losing a safety to that. On the other end, uh, what they want to do is because that safety is now out of, out of run fits, right? He's permanently out. That means that this backside safety, in order to have enough people to stop the run, the other safety has to be involved in run fits. Otherwise, you're just going to be short in the run game. Right. And so depending on what was happening with with the defensive line situation, um, they either had to cheat this safety down to try to stop the run from stop your defensive line from just getting bled to death in the run. But then that left you with one-on-ones with a corner on the outside. And, and they really didn't feel like there was a corner on the outside that could, that could live in that scenario. Um, so really what you saw was they kind of chose the best of two bad options and they, they kind of played pretty passively with this backside safety again, capping over the corner and giving him a little bit of help. But that meant that if, if Fabian Lovett was out or, or any other defensive linemen weren't winning up front, you were going to struggle. Kevin, yeah. is that why you saw like a team like a Florida with all those like doubled that double team running mm-hmm. scheme? Is that why other than having a really good like offensive line? Is that why? Because we were kind of forced to play with a little bit of a light box due to our uh, our, our issues at cornerback. Yeah. Well, yeah. AB can answer that. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's a it's a conscious decision that you're making. Um, yeah. You're 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 going into a game saying we're going to try to stop the run with six guys and we're going to they ran a lot of cover four. I've seen a lot of cover two conversation. They ran a lot of cover four man match concepts um, yep. from what Kevin and I have been looking at. So in cover four, you're going to, your safeties are going to be uh, the eighth men in the box uh, on certain run reads. But like Kev's talking about, they have them. So they had them so deep and in such responsibilities w- with some of the coverage stuff, they were never going to get down and be reasonable run fitters. Um, it, it was just not realistic. So they essentially tried to stop the run with six guys. Florida, Florida would come in, and we would see them. We saw them against Florida bring DJ Lundy in, try to put him at that Sam, um, it, essentially the nickel, the nickel back, uh, and they would try to play with a seven-man box. But it's not something he had done a ton uh, throughout the year. So they were essentially trying to play a six-man box against uh, you know seven or eight against Florida. But throughout most of the season, I mean, you're playing with a wing. Um, I'm trying to describe this best I can for the audio people. Okay. You're, so you're five offensive linemen, a, a, an H back, which is six, and then you're running back and, and a, a quarterback. So you've got to account for the quarterback. So essentially you're playing six on eight football inside the box. Um, yep. And that's, that's never going to end well for you unless you've got a dominant defensive front, unless you're Georgia. They can play, they can play a five or six man box against most teams and win. 
Um, yeah, so Jalen Carter is gonna whoop a couple guys' asses <laughs> by himself. So exactly. Um, yeah. The 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 um what's the way is it Williams, the, the five star from last year? I mean, mm-hmm. they just got freaks everywhere. Florida State didn't have that, and on top of it, they played multiple big games without Jared Verse. They played a bunch of sh- a, a long stretch without Fabian Lovett. So you're trying to do something defensively. Uh, and this is where, you, you know, you got to question a little bit is like uh, six and one half dozen the other. You tried in that stretch of games, Wake Forest, NC State and Clemson playing without Fabian Lovett. You tried this six man box. You thought, you know, you could bend and not break. Would they have been better off trying to be more attack oriented? Do you think? I mean, you, they they would blitz and they did bring pressure. But you saw on the few times that they did, they got hit beat. So imagine that one big play where. Um, you know, Kevin Knowles comes off the edge on a blitz and misses Clemson, right? Yeah, yeah that one really sticks out in my mind. DJ, it goes for a bomb. That, that makes as a defensive coordinator, it makes it hard to want to continue to be aggressive because yeah. you don't want to yeah. give up those bombs. They were more willing to allow dink and dunk, for lack of a better term, yeah. than explosives because they couldn't get a couple numbers that speak to this. They were 58 and yards per rush allowed, 3.96. Mm-hmm. So as you guys were talking about, they essentially allowed them to run through holes. Mm-hmm. Now, at the same time, they didn't allow a ton of long rushes in the sense of massive chunk rushes. But if a team was committed to the run and FSU didn't put them separate on the scoreboard enough, they could run them. Teams yeah. were allowed to line up. And then also not with tackles for loss per game at 6.46, 40th yeah. in the country. For the ability FSU did have up front to create sacks and pressure in that sense, they didn't really do a great job in creating havoc, my favorite word, with tackles <laughs> for losses and doing things like that. And a, a lot of it is they were kind of willing to keep people at the first level and keep people at the second level and then have that safety net in the back mm-hmm. with the safeties. And it was a three-tier system. There wasn't a whole lot of moving the parts, bringing them down, flying around, trying to create havoc, trying to make things happen, trying to change the game that way. Now, once in a while, they would go to that and have some success. There's moments in the Miami game that come to mind where they did have success. But on the flip side of that, we referenced the Clemson one. There's other examples of that where when they tried to do that, they would get hit pretty explosive. Mm-hmm. So they they just – the amount of times they went to at bats of trying to be aggressive in that manner was limited because they were much more, you know, let's make other teams drive us. They have to come out and drive us. And, you know, overall their success rate against drives was pretty good. Now, yeah. the thing that concerns me is too often this year – no, it's not Charles Kelly bad. But too often this year, there were third down situations where FSU should have got off the field and did not get off the field. If you're going to play the kind of style of defense that FSU did play this year, you got to get off the field on third downs, especially winnable defensive third downs. Yeah. And too often that didn't happen. Now, do I think they're going to improve in that regard? Yeah, and we're going to talk about that later with some of the mm-hmm. personnel they've added. But, yeah, that again, in this conversation of how good was the defense versus what's concerning about the defense – there's nuance to it. And this is a good example of they kind of figured out what they were willing to allow and they would rather, you know, force a team to drive on them, consume clock instead of allowing two play touch on drives. Cause there's an explosive cause we got aggressive and it didn't work. That's a good point, Chris, because there were many times where that strategy, even with playing with that six man box, there was a lot of teams that faced like third and seven plus where it, essentially Adam Fuller could breathe a sigh of relief. Like, Oh, I did my job. Now we just got to limit a crazy third down happened a lot, a lot of momentary lapses. So I'm with you. That needs to be cleaned up. 35% on third down 38th in the country. 
Go ahead, AP. I think I think one thing that everybody will will mention. It was a big and big point of contention. The NC State game. You know they're not going to throw the football because they can't throw the football. And you stayed in what you were. Yeah, and you stayed in what you were, and you couldn't. You, it's almost like you couldn't get yourself out of it. Those are some of the areas that I think people have concerns about, and I have concerns about. Why isn't there more variety and more more diversity to what you're trying to do? We see the same thing on offense, too, man. That was a game where both sides of the ball did not cover themselves in glory. And I don't know if that was a if that was a fulcrum or a tipping point for the entire coaching staff. But I remember watching that game and being disgusted with kind Mm -hmm. of the lack of flexibility on both sides. And it wasn't really something that I saw again from the offense going throughout the year. So that's interesting. A footnote on the defense for NC State is they were beat to hell from the Louisville game. Yes. Personnel-wise, yes. they were a little short. Mm-hmm. And I, think wait, there, yeah. I think there's a matter of with this team across the board, offense, defense, all of it, it's a trust system. Yeah. And I think on defense, there were some parts they just didn't trust. And yeah. that's why they would stick to sort of who and what they thought they were instead of you know mixing it up and combating what's happening in the moment versus well, the overall game plan. And you're, you're mentioning the trust. So I think it's important that we, we, we've been talking about it. We know Duke Cooper wasn't right all year. We know uh, Kevin Knowles battled it, battled a, I think we can say it, an injury to his shoulder that would have impacted his ability to play physical, tackle the football, those kinds of things. We know Tatum Bethune battled a shoulder injury most of the year. We know about these injuries that I think would impact what you're trying to do um, in the grand scheme of things. And and how uh, how much variety you can have as a defense? I don't know. I just it. I know people are going to say, "Oh, those are excuses," and it's no, yeah, but, not yeah, necessarily. But they are legitimate things, like yeah, not necessarily. I, one thing I do want to get before we get into the personnel, Kevin. Can we agree, or do you think? Because one one would be more concerning to other people than the other. Do you think that the style of defense, a lot of the things schematically that we did is Adam Fuller's preferred method of operation or mostly forced into it? So, yeah, this is another conversation we kind of had off air. And I, I, I think we kind of came to the agreement that it's a little bit of a knee-jerk reaction from getting... So well, I'm going to hop back on the blackboard real quick. But um, So what happened his first year here was teams were just... Were just hitting them pretty hard off these like glance RPOs, right? Oh, the, bad. The oh, the, the, the Thayer Thomas, mm-hmm. like, yeah, the slots ate against us. That that's, that's a great point. It was, it was terrible. And it was mostly because they wanted to have a more of a run presence, right? They wanted to be able to kind of have their cake and eat it too. And so they were putting like an Amari, Amari gainer type body out here as, as an outside linebacker, right? So this is someone that would be an outside linebacker in 1995, but now, He's an outside linebacker in the ACC in 2019, 2020. And he, he just got eight alive because that that's just a very difficult position to be put into and nothing against him. Uh, Personally, it's something I think they got away with a little bit at Memphis, but they weren't necessarily able to get away with, with all the, the frankly good quarterbacks in the ACC. And so the, the knee jerk reaction was to put a true kind of coverage nickel out there. So someone like Kevin Knowles, who's, not going to be a box presence. And greedy so, Vance, yeah. Right, Greedy Vance, Kevin Knowles. These guys aren't going to be good to stop the run. So what do you do? So you you have to make this substitution to, to stop the glance, to stop the RPOs that you're just getting killed on. 
But that also kind of handicaps you when it comes to the passing game, um, especially if you don't have corners on that outside that you can really trust to lock up man on man. So um, that that really put them in a tough situation. And it's something that I think they can fix with with personnel and fix with, you know, recruiting and, and transfer portal like we'll talk about in a little bit. But it is, I think, a little bit of a knee-jerk reaction to just how badly they were beat on that specific kind of concept. <laughs> An overcorrection, maybe. But, hey, I think the, I don't think that the Florida State defense we're going to see next year, I, I, obviously it's going to be similar, same, largely the same coaching staff. Mm-hmm. I think you're going to notice some, some serious differences from the way that they – I think that they, their philosophical mindset that they approach, how they, they're not going to let teams march on them. And a lot of it is because of the chaos they can create on the defensive line and some of the sure-handed, uh, I mean, literally maybe the best player in the entire transfer portal is now in your defensive backfield. Let's talk about a positional breakdown for 2023. I think we all agree, like, one of the questions on here was, like, their transfer portal aggressiveness on the defense. They needed it, dude. They needed it through retention, and they did it through retention, and they needed it through acquisition, and they did it. And love you, Ingram. Good job, bud. Defensive end, Jared Verse. Back, massive move. A kid that was—I'm not going to get into mock drafts, man. They just—they—they they, they, they literally—they're the bane of my existence. But a kid that was legitimate, if he was in the NFL draft this year, would be making a ton of money. The kid is believing in himself. He has got a just a what a what a great base of skills and athleticism to work to work with. He's still raw. He still needs some. He still needs some work against the run game. There were still multiple times throughout the year where teams took advantage of that aggressiveness, right? But potential defensive player of the year at the conference, like immediately right off the bat, he's back with your team. Uh, Adam, what's the impact of getting Jared Verse back? I mean, it's massive. Um, and I think he made the right choice. Uh, the praises of... Jared Verse are well-earned, and they have been heaped on him massively throughout the year. But there were times where when he went against a good offensive tackle, he got stalemated um, or owned. I mean, there, there were times against Florida. There were times against Oklahoma where he could do nothing. So I think it was a good move on his part to come back, continue to develop his game. I expect him to take another step forward. He's going he's gonna to continue to add to his repertoire as a pass rusher. It's just huge for this defense. They didn't have a true – freak get off the ball and come at you defensive end um i like pat payton i like Derek mcclendon they like byron turner jared versus just different i mean there's a reason he was up for the uh, acc defensive player of the year um yeah you, you just needed that on this defense of what they want to do where they're so reliant on their front four to get to the quarterback you needed a dude who could go get the quarterback he is so not a finished product either. He's only been playing the position for a couple of years. That was his first year of Power 5 football transfer up from Albany. He largely won a lot of battles just off that athleticism. Um, and his really surprising power. That was some, I really liked how powerful his game was. So, dude, Papuchus works with him, the Greek freak, puts some more moves in that repertoire. I am feeling really good about it. Um, Chris Nee, Pat Payton, the actual ACC Rookie of the Year. What do you think about what do you think about his game? How do you think he's going to continue to develop? Are you surprised with how well he has developed so far, so young into his career? Well, Pat has phenomenal length and he has great speed off the edge. So he's leaned into those two pieces of his skill set and had success with him. The key for him now is continue to bulk up 
continue to evolve as a defensive end, add to that repertoire of moves that you have, and I think you'd be effective. I think in the conversation of the DNs and the D-line as a whole, I kind of view it like hockey lines next year. I think the added yeah, depth, shift what they've gone and done, it's going to allow guys to give the max effort when they're there, knowing that the next guy up is talented, capable, and coming. And, you know, when you can change the rep count, it's a positive. And we saw that, you know, a couple years in the past, J-Rob playing 60 snaps in a game. That's absurd. Yeah. You can get a D lineman down to 30 to 40 snaps in a game, and they know that that's all they're going to have to give. It allows them to play to their max capability instead of at times almost, I don't want to say taking a playoff, but, you know, holding back a little bit, getting their breath, things of that sort. I, I think Pat Payton's a guy that will benefit knowing that he has a Gilbert Edmund. Uh, you know, he's in the mix with a Byron Turner, hopefully takes that next step because he is a guy that the staff is excited about. He's just not been able to stay healthy enough to get to that point. You obviously have Burrs. You obviously have others like Derek McClendon in the mix. So, uh, I'm excited about Peyton. I think he'd be very, very good. But I think the best thing about Peyton for next year is that it doesn't all fall on his shoulders. Mm-hmm. If first had departed or they don't add an Edmund, his role would have been much more. And I think that's something that's not good for him. I don't think he's at that point in his collegiate career quite yet. He will get there with time, with strength and conditioning, with more reps. But I think it's a beneficial thing to him that he knows when I'm in there, this is what I need to do. I know the next guy's coming up. I'm good to go. Adam, do you have something you want to say? I saw well, the, I so saw the finger try, rise multiple times. A, we're going to try to build out a two deep, right? I, I just wanted to, and, and we know something that has been discussed on those at those twenty four seven, and was kind of given away. Was it in the Edmonds uh, interview? Yeah, Gilbert mentioned it during his exit. Role. They're gonna they're gonna run two traditional defensive ends. For our purposes, this is Fox. This is an old, uh, an old document. It is what it is. <laughs> Good but, eyes, yeah. commenters. But yes, two regular the, ends, right? Fo- yeah, they're going to play two regular ends. They're not going to do the the Fox anymore, which nobody knew what the hell the Fox did anyway. So it was a popular question all over the place. Good. So, but my what my question was, since we're going to try to build out a two deep, do we think that Pat Payton is maybe a second line guy? Is he a first line guy, opposite verse? I think he's a pass rush. I think he's. I think he potentially comes in as as in like NASCAR sets as a number one guy. So like third third down, obvious passing situation. You might you might see him come in, but I don't think I would want Verse and Peyton on the field at the same time necessarily. In in a p- potential run situation, I think that's both kind of the weaker part of both of their games. Right, right. Yeah, not enough. Yeah. Like you said, just not, not a strength. Would you agree with that too, Chris? You think that we, we don't think we'd see yeah. him on the field together outside of like passing downs? I know people aren't in love with Derek McClendon, but I think the staff very much likes what Derek. He's solid, man. He's does. a solid mm-hmm. hand. Yeah. yeah. So I, I still think it'll be McClendon first, but you'll mix it with Peyton in there. And obviously Edmonds, you know, a guy that can now throw in that mix. And we keep mentioning Turner's name. He's not one in. Truthfully, I think a guy like Fisk is somebody they could roll out there to the edge at times in certain sets, certain needs, yeah. things that they're doing. And hell, with this many D linemen, throw me a beer front. Agreed. Uh, explain to the people that might not know what you're talking about when you're talking about a bear front. I mean, good old 52, line up five, get wide, get uncomfortable. You can you can mix it up. You can go with power on the outside and put some speed on the inside for moves, or you can go speed on the outside, power on the inside. You can get creative with it, but it just it's the idea of basically putting five over five on the offensive line uh, against the offensive line five. Making one on one matchups. Yeah, just yeah. just being aggressive. But it's mm-hmm. it's mono mono Oklahoma drill kind of feel. 
but it, it's O line is so used to there's going to be a guy that can help, mm-hmm. or you've got the safety of a running back or a tight end who's going to help running back chipping or, t- or I'm sorry, tight end chipping or running back cutting something like that. With the five man front, it's more like oh man, it's a one on one deal. It kind of it changes the hat game. Now at the same time, you obviously have one less in the back half, and an offense can attack that. But if you have guys you can put on an island, especially at the cornerback spot, then it allows you to do that. And Th- that's why a guy like Fentrell Cypress is so important. Third and eight. Love it. Fisk, Peyton, Verse. Throw somebody else out there. It doesn't matter. That is a nightmare, right? Especially when you got a Fentrell Cypress who we're going to talk about later, locking down your number one guy. That's that's terrifying. That is terrifying, especially when they're they're relatively fresh. We saw it last year. The defensive line coaches want to rep and keep their guys as fresh as possible. Where we saw, like, when Jared Jackson came in, when some of the other guys on the interior came in, we saw it <laughs> from our from our points as analysts. Like, here we go, man. Long drive alert incoming. Now you're doing that with guys that are very, very capable. Mm-hmm. So we talked about Verse. We talked about Peyton. Do we expect it with... Derek McClendon, like let's talk about some of the other guys we're going to see maybe opposite those two dudes. So you mentioned Derek McClendon, Kevin. What do you see about Derek McClendon's game, and then uh, Gilbert Edmond, the recent addition from South Carolina? Uh, so I, I personally think that they're very similar style of players, which is why, I mean, I'm not like terribly upset that Fox is here. I mean, I it, it's not. <laughs> accurate but it's kind of uh it defines them as a slightly different style of defensive end uh diverse and Peyton I think they're kind of more of the well-rounded types right they're bigger bodies than than you'll see a little bit more solidly built uh I think they both have decent first steps but neither one of them is going to really blow you away in the pass rush department but I, I think they do a better job of anchoring against the run so I, I'm glad that we can kind of like put these guys together and Realistically, what you were getting out of this position once McLendon was out last year was was kind of a detriment to your to your team, and you saw Oklahoma attack that specifically. Yeah, so Leonard Leonard Warner's foot speed was not mm-hmm. good enough. Teams would directly run at him yep. wide because it's just not what he was. And Leonard played his backside off, he absolutely a lot to the yep. table, mm-hmm. but it was just a deficiency in who and what he is yep. that I think they believe they've addressed to some degree. Who's the next guy? Who's the next guy, Chris, after these four? Uh, these four feels pretty established. We talk yeah. about Byron Turner all the time. Yeah, if I was betting money, I'd say Byron Turner, again, has to stay healthy, has to be there, has to be available. Availability is probably the most important thing for that young man. Um, yeah, to me. Chris, can I guy. ask? We we haven't really seen it, so can I ask why? From from a fan uh, that's a listening bit, who's to somebody who's seen it on the practice field. Not as freaky long-armed as Pat Payton, but pretty quick like Pat. But he's also got very good strength. He's kind of like Jared Verse with the ability to go speed to strength, strength to mm-hmm. speed. It's available to him a little bit more than maybe a Pat Payton. Um, and he just – he it's cliche, but he's got a motor and it runs. I mean, he plays really oh. hard. Like, yeah. he really gets after it. And he's a guy that when he's able to stack a few practices on top of each other, he usually has a good day. He's pushing people back. He's finishing plays. He's just disrupting people. Very good usage of his arms, making himself a wide body, eating up a lot of space. You know, I'm not trying to turn him into all world, but I do mm-hmm. think he's a guy that if he's your fifth man up in the rotation, then hell yeah. He's like, the Darian Williamson of the defense, basically. That's how yeah, I see it. Yeah, there's a degree right? of that. That's fair. They're, yeah. they're both guys that there's a lot of people that coach here that really like 
but it's just a matter of they haven't been able to stay on the field consistently enough or practice let's, enough. Let's move oh, inside it, or, or not. No, I, is Boots a guy that's going to – he's going to come in day one re- ready. Uh, yeah. As, as ready as a high school senior can be. Um, is he a guy you think maybe in some pass rush situations this year or, or a Dante Anderson that, uh, that could, they could potentially help. Yeah. But I, I don't know if you're leaning into either of those guys over an option like Peyton or even yeah. Turner. Um, you know, I think if, if you're trying to get the guy who's quick off the snap, so you're basically saying Pat Peyton's winded needs to come out. Who are you rolling yeah, out there? Yeah, or third, third law and Pat's been in there for 12 plays in a row or whatever. And you need to, yeah, I, I think both of those guys are long bodies with good athleticism, good first steps. They understand how to get downhill and play kind of wide. Yeah. You could play either of them, but I just, I don't know that FSU is going to be in the predicament where they have to worry about yeah. that. Presuming they stay healthy. Right. Makes sense. Moving in. Maybe my favorite unit on the entire team now, which is crazy. Um, and that's defensive tackle. You keep Fabian Lovett back. Like, it, it's just an embarrassment of riches, man. So, Fabian Lovett, Braden Fist, Daryl Jackson. Thanks for staying, Daryl. We appreciate it. Give us a little bit of some palpitations there. Joshua Farmer. What, a, what an absolutely just... Oh, God, the, the potential that you could unlock with the different things that each of those guys can do is really tantalizing. It's going to be a huge strength of the team. Adam, what do you think? Who do you think is going to be playing the one technique? Who's going to be playing the three? And what do you think about this unit now? Uh, it's probably going to be the most improved unit on your football team this year. <laughs> that Besides tight end, end yeah. Not tight end, but, I mean, just the sheer depth. Look, when, last year you had to move Dennis Briggs back inside – um, who I know Chris is a big fan of Dennis Briggs. I've been a big fan of him. Spoke his praises last year pre-injury. He wasn't what they thought he was going to be coming off that injury last year. Lo- definitely lost his step of explosiveness. Um, they tried him outside, moved him back inside when all the injuries occurred. You know, you played you played a bunch of games without Fabo. Malcolm Ray's bat- constantly battling a, battling a, a shoulder issue. Yeah. That ever seems to be there every year for him. Um, Coop, I love Big Coop. I know Chris does too. But at some point, Big Coop is limited in what he can do because plus because of, real quick on the Coop point, Coop is not what this staff wants at D Tech. Right. Yeah. That's and that's not I mean. a knock on Robert. Robert wasn't recruited by this staff, and Robert was a team leader, good player. I hope he makes the pros. It, but that's not the body type they recruit. That's not the style they recruit. They don't want like a true zero guy over the top, which is what Coop was when he was recruited. They want a little more athleticism, yep. lean, longer body. Yeah, yeah. They want that. They want that length. They and, and yeah, Coop. I mean, Coop. Look, Coop gave his fought his backside off for five years at Florida State. So there's not anything negative you can say about the young man. But he doesn't fit schematically what they wanted wanted to do. Uh, so you've, you've played a lot of games this year with one hand kind of tied behind your back at that position. Um, so, yeah, I mean, bringing Fabo back, you're going to play Fabo, what, 350 snaps this year, 400 snaps this year. And I'm sure that's something that they probably had a long conversation about, uh, keeping his body fresh for the big games when you absolutely need him. Um, yeah, this position's great. It's loaded. So absolutely I, I- loaded. I think we need to spend a second uh, before I start populating this chart. 
Uh, first, I want to define a one tech is typically what you think of as of, of more of a, a nose guard. These are the bigger bodied guys. So the, the Robert Coopers of the world um, where the three technique is usually he's he's a little bit further out from the center. He's a little bit more agile, smaller uh, for the people who aren't familiar with with those terminologies. So who do we think fits cleanly in the one and three and who do we think is going to kind of get moved around between the two? That's a great I, I think Fabo is a, I think Fabo is a swing guy. I, I think, think so. He's probably a guy you play at the one to start. Yeah. I would agree with what else you have that, that makes the most sense. Yeah. yeah I, I think Fisk is your three out of the gate. I think yeah. you can move him around positional flexibility He's a guy that, you know, he could even play on the edge as a big guy as a run-stopping type. Briggs, again, falls in that category, Skip, yeah. especially if the athleticism returns to pre-injury yeah. form. And Briggs had a good ball game, excellent moment to end the game. Um, hopefully we see that. I think in offseason we'll do Dennis a lot of good. Jackson's a one, right? Jackson's, Jackson's a one. A one. Yeah. Yeah, Jackson's do we think he's hopping in behind Lovett? I do. I do. Yeah. Um you know, and Josh Farmers are two. Josh, Josh is kind of a quick athlete. He can play both. Um, but if you just want like sheer, just mean badass in the trenches, Josh has a lot of that to his game. It's yeah. not always there. He doesn't always do it, but it, it exists in him. He he's got it. And then we also I have mean, Defase and Lions. I, I think Malcolm Ray is a is a he's oh, a true Ray. three tech. He's a, he's oh a player gosh. that yeah Ray's more of three to me. Field. Yeah, yeah. And Ray Ray's an interesting one. Ray's one hundred percent that dude, uh, sort of like Maurice Smith uh, off season ago. Guys have been brought in to leapfrog him, plain and simple. Mm-hmm. Now it's yeah. his turn to prove that he still deserves a role and stuff like that. And I'll be interested in how he responds. Plus, the shoulder getting healthy because it never really was after Louisville. He's a pass rusher. I mean, I think he's, I think everybody sees his name and immediately, just like Maurice last, that's a good comp last season. Everybody, Kane Lyles comes in, everybody forgot about him. Everybody wrote him off. It's over. Kane Lyles is going to take his job. Malcolm can rush the passer. Like we've seen him be very effective. If you're talking about him in a in a span of 20 plays a game this year and pure pass rush, playing on third down, maybe you slide Fisk outside. You have you have Briggs and and Ray on the inside. Like that's a pretty pretty good pass rushing uh, package. Yeah, so here's here's the wild thing with D tackle in the three spot. Lions mm, fits in there just shit, as well. I know. I, I lot, think eventually there I absolutely love the kid. I think Maybe Lions is going to be near the end of the year next year where we have Briggs right now. That's what I see him being the guy to kind of maybe back he up might Fisk. Be the best player in the whole room. Like, Daniel's got a great ooh, body. Really, really long. The entire long room, arm. Adam? Yeah, the entire room. He, he might be the best player in that. Why do you, why do you say that? What, what, what? He's because long, that's, that's he's a big explosive. statement. I mean, he just, he has good, violent hands. Uh, you just, he's got the package. Like, he's got what you want. There was a reason he was rated where he was. There was a reason he was a dogfight with Miami to get him and keep him. Um, yeah, I, I'm very big on his game. And then Io's a one. Uh, oh my God! He, what a what a mountain barrel, of a man! Yeah, barrel chested, massive human, strong as hell, a uh, bit raw, and but they like him. He had a good season in practice. He's a guy that you know the work ethic is there in the sense of being in tip top shape, capable of playing, doing things. Io is the kind of guy that. If, you, if you're just going for like a wrecking crew, you're going to plug him in here and there because he can just grab a human and throw him around, kind of like Josh Farmer. Those are and two look, guys that can do that. 
And look what you can do. Like we were talking about Braden Fisk, who is an extremely productive pass rusher. You can move him to the outside, and it's not a detriment to your interior depth because you still got Briggs, Ray, Lyons, Tafase. Then you can sort of mix and match. Then it's it's almost like a baseball team, right? In those beginning games, like you almost get to see where your playoff rotation is. The amount of things that are available to Adam Fuller to do with just his front four now, um, Start planning some stuff now, Adam, because you got a lot of available options to you, my friend. Yeah. So Adam Fuller, oh, go ahead, Chris. Go ahead, Chris. Fuller likes saying uh, change the picture. He likes mm-hmm. using that term. And I would say this past season, FSU did not often change the picture on teams. Mm-hmm. They, yep. You knew what we were getting pre-snap most times. Yep. That group there that we just talked about with better play in the back half, specifically corners, guys that can play one-on-one, you can do some things. You can throw some things at teams and they're going to have pre-snap moments of, oh, where is it coming from? Mm-hmm. And that group allows that much more than last year's group. That's a good point. Florida State's defense was very much like a Hallmark Christmas movie. We knew exactly what was happening. The big-time stockbroker <laughs> was going to marry the the Christmas tree farm owner. We knew how it was going to end. We knew the formula. Let's make it into a Christopher Nolan movie. Let's make it into Tenet. I don't want to know what the hell's going on. I want a little bit of Inception. I want to, I want offenses to feel just, just mind-effed completely. So I think they've covered the defensive line, and that is a – man, for you guys that are watching on YouTube – Soak it in. Soak it in. That is a lot of very talented names. I want to move to the linebacker. I don't think the discussion on that's going to be as robust, but I don't necessarily think that that's a bad thing because you know what you're going to get. Kalen Deloach, Tatum Bethune, and then I'm interested to see who you guys think are going to be the the people behind them. Kevin, what do you think? I mean, Kalen Deloach, Tatum Bethune, what are their strengths? I mean, you almost almost got to mention it together as a package deal. Um, What are their strengths? What are their weaknesses? Um, And what do you think that they can improve upon coming into next year as a tandem? Yeah, actually, they played kind of similarly this past year, and I I think that's almost a a criticism of Tatum Bethune. I I think that he was kind of dealing with a little bit of an injury, and I think he wasn't quite the box present consistently we were hoping from him mm-hmm. um but deloach is is a true coverage linebacker he does about as well as anybody out in coverage as a linebacker when asked to be man on man he made a couple of he he covered the the oklahoma kid that that tight end they had pretty well um so he's he's your he's your coverage guy he's your speed guy he's the guy that you don't mind being kind of on a tight end out in coverage you're hoping tatum bethune is more of a box presence, um, but he still has has enough speed to get around. I like this linebacker duo. I think that so do um, I. Yeah. When when mm-hmm. the offense when the defensive line kind of cleans up in front of them, they're going to yeah. really thrive because I think they both operate pretty well in space, and I think that's what you're going to see a lot more this year. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. Like if that that front can keep them clean, I think this is going to be a very good year for them. Um, and you're going to be able to potentially get some valuable reps out of a DJ Lundy, uh, Omar Graham, a Blake Nicholson. But it, it's going to be important. Linebacker play is always going to be dependent on what happens in front of them. When there's bad linebacker play, a lot of times it starts with what's going on with the two guys directly in front of them. Um, so I think that there's a lot of hot takes about the linebackers. Kalen's got to be better triggering, getting downhill, making plays. Tatum battled through that shoulder injury. When you saw that injury happen to his shoulder, that was against uh, Louisville, correct? 
Everything happened against Louisville, man. It's just the Scott Satterfield experience. I, I can't remember. He played. He played really. I don't want to overuse. He played well at NC State. Yeah. Um, so I can't remember if the injury was Louisville or if it came after NC State. I was trying to think of that when we were getting right. into this. Portion. I can't Tatum? remember it either. And, and you're saying NC yeah, State. That actually sticking out in my head that maybe he that got injured for a few drives in the Louisville game. He, there was a visible difference in the level of his game as a run defender that you he could couldn't see. Tackle with his, I believe it was with his left shoulder. Like he couldn't tackle. Yeah, it, it, the ability to raise the arm, move the yeah. arm, be comfortable, natural, it went away from him. As it just it changes. And when something like that happens to a player, it changes everything for them. It changes how they fit. It changes how they take blocks on, how they block destruction. It just it, it impacts everything. So I'm excited to see him healthy. I think it'll be. Like against LSU, he was a difference maker. He was an absolute stud against LSU. Um, so it'd be nice to get him back to that because I think that that helps. Uh, I think that helps with him um, being next to Deloach. It allows Deloach to run more, which is Deloach's game. Lundy's solid. We, we all love DJ Lundy. I thought he had a pretty good game against Oklahoma, and that kid has reshaped himself a ton, uh, a ton since he's been at Florida State. Who's the fourth guy? Who do we think the fourth guy? Is it Omar Graham? Is it one of the is it one of the new kids in Blake Nicholson or DeMarco Ward, the productive kid from Georgia? We are DeMarco fans, by the way, if that is actually yeah. Yeah, yeah they're nice the comment. Yeah, I, like, I've said a lot of good things about the young man. Um, what do we think? Who's the fourth guy, Chris? Uh, I think Brennan Gantz, the wild card. Yeah, which we love him as well. I yes, I'll be perfectly honest. I can't believe I'm talking highly of Brendan Gant because a couple <laughs> years ago I thought I was going to push him in the portal myself, and I like Brendan. No <laughs> but like, I think Gant has a shot of being a guy that gets in the mix here. Now, Blake Nicholson brings a different level of athleticism than that room's had in a long time. So, like, that's that. But I'm never going to bet on a freshman linebacker getting thrown in the fire and doing a lot, especially when they don't have to be. And they don't have to be on this group because you do have some options that have more experience. So that's Blake and DeMarco, you know, that don't have to be thrown in that fire. Omar is a guy that's consistently around the ball. But if I had to pick a guy, I think I'd go Brennan Gant after Lundy. And, um, man, another another year for that kid being coached up at that position with just the way that uh, – I'm with you, man. I, I'm with you. That that's an interesting. That is a very interesting name that you mentioned. That could that could cause a lot of problems for offenses. Gant hits the tar out of people. He gets down quick. He's physical. Now the issue with him is there's also big misses, mm-hmm. and that was obviously an issue when he played a different position. I don't think he's near <laughs> as bad dealing with that today as he used to be. But that is one of those things where you just wonder, like, if he got, you know. What was the average backup reps for a linebacker this year for FSU? I don't know. Maybe off I mean, maybe he played 10 15 to 20. Maybe he played 10, 15, yeah. 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 So if he's getting say he's getting 15 reps in a game, is he reliable consistently for those 15? That's the question with Gant that I think determines how much you do lean into playing. He uh he might be my favorite tackler misser of all time in the history of Florida State those first couple of years. When he misses, he misses big. It's yeah. sick, dude. Some of, I mean, some of his reliability is going to be dependent, like I said earlier, on what happens in front of him. And if you if you are able to do to do some bare front stuff or some you know some some tight front stuff, if you're able to do some ver- more variety with your front and keep these guys clean and allow them to start running sideline to sideline more, and not forcing them to come downhill and play straight on with guys that plays to their strengths, and it's got to be something I think they look to do. So this is a question I had with AB the other day. Okay. This is a conversation we had. I 
I personally think you could have packages with Gant out at nickel. Um, <sighs> AB seems to disagree. People. I would rather see Gant out there than, you know, Lundy. Well, of course. Um, but, like, if you need more of a box presence, I think it makes sense to have a safety-turned-linebacker to play. This That would be a true stud. That would be a true... You know, hybrid defender that they talked about when they when they came in as a staff. All right, so well, let's let's all right, let's be completely honest. They moved Brendan Gant to, to linebacker to try to essentially run him off the team. I mean, they changed his number. They they moved him to a position he'd never. He got tested. Yeah, yeah, he got, he got tested, and he passed. And he, passed. Yeah. he passed the test. So I think I think it's reasonable to expect them to put more things on his plate going into this year. I don't think you saw him there last year because. This was all brand new for him. Yep. Uh, yeah. So I, I think going into next year, absolutely. I would, I would a hundred percent expect them to say, okay, here's a little bit more. We trust you now. Chris talked about how much of a trust factor there is with these coaches. So you're seeing them trust him more. So I would expect more to be on his plate. Well, another fun piece that they can move. Speaking of fun pieces, corner, Fentral Cypress, UVA defensive back, best player in the portal. For my eyes, in my opinion, best defensive back in the portal. Duh, not a problem. He's got that spot locked up. Uh, we can talk about who's going to be opposite of him. Um, Kevin, what do you think? I mean, what's the talk about the value that it brings to a defense to have a, like a true number one lockdown guy at what, as one of your starting corners? It goes back to what I was talking about earlier. So, okay, <laughs> say you want to lock down the front side. Right. So you want to do that three over two on the front side or whatever. <laughs> Having a lockdown corner on one side of the field means the safety to that side of the field can now be involved in run fits. And now you can that. kind of get more creative with your blitzes and you don't have to. So they were having to really hide these blitzes and come late because they knew that if the offense knew that these blitzes were coming, they would just hit the corner right they would just attack the corner but if you have a guy you can trust to to stand up to man coverage that means you don't have to pretend you're not blitzing you can get really creative with how you blitz how you bring those pressures and i think that's what you have to expect from from fuller and staff this year and be disappointed if you don't see them kind of get a little bit more creative with that kind of stuff we expect cypress to play the boundary corner correct I would expect that if that's... I think so. I think a lot of this discussion depends on what are they going to do with Renardo Green. Are they going to keep him at corner? Because if they keep him at corner, he's probably their boundary. He's he's good in that spot. Yeah. But he's also a guy that's played safety, was good at it. He's physical. You know, I'm interested how Renardo fits into the puzzle. And, uh, and he, you know. he needs to. He played so well last year. I was really cool. I know we're I think we're gonna do like an episode where we pick like fan clubs. Like he's on my he's on my short list, man. I love that <laughs> kid. And then you got Jerry and who they obviously leaned into this year and he had a good season. Mm-hmm. I think he could move to nickel. Okay, I don't know what that do we think that he he played all right, so he played they did Chris they played him at nickel or they repped him at nickel in the yeah. fall early last year, right? Yeah, and, and then, then he settled became, into the corner role, became the starter. And, and then it became kind of apparent that Duke Cooper had some stuff going on, correct? Yeah. And he was kind of needed back outside. Jerrion told Kevin on the uh, the Battle's End um, uh, watch-along party the other night that he prefers the nickel spot 
interesting. I, I'm of the I'm of the opinion that they've got to get a lot longer at that position. Um, they, that Kevin and more physical. Right? Yeah, and more physical. And I don't know if physicality. I'm sorry, Jerry. I'm a I'm a I'm a fan. I'm not sure. Oh, watch yourself, kid. <laughs> I don't know if physicality is is his strength, but I do think the length plays really well in there. The athleticism and the and the and the footwork is very strong in there. Um, so a positive, a positive. Okay, I know he's listening to the words, Adam. Um, who's your preference for those three? The two corners and 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 the nickel. In your opinion, I, who's your preference for I, that mix I, of three? Well, the guy we haven't even talked about yet. So my my preference is. Az Thomas in there somewhere, but of the ones we're talking about right now, uh, it would be Cypress and Green at corner with Jarian in the slot. Okay, what do you think? I, I, uh, I don't. I don't believe you can move Renardo again. I, I think that that would be a mistake on their part, unless they're planning on doing some some different stuff. You got that kid in the spot finally in his career where he played very well. Yes, I think you would be doing him a disservice to then move him again. And ask him to go back to another role. And I know he's played it before, but damn, you just had success with him. Don't go away from that. Chris, what do you think about that? Is that your three, two? Do you agree with kind of Adam's logic there? Or just like we got to find a way to get all of our best dudes on the field? It's, it's a. Mm. Mm. I agree with Adam on the green take of moving a guy constantly isn't the best thing for a guy. Plain and no. Green is capable of playing safety. I think you're trying to fill a hole, and if you're not going to do it via the portal, then that might be the option. The other thing is, do you give Duke Cooper a run back there at safety and see what happens? And, and you know, Brendan, I don't want to speak for him, but that's an idea he's thrown around when we've had talks about this because we've talked about a corner moving there. It's usually Green because of all the reasons we've listed or Duke Cooper because of what this year was. He's got some length and whatnot. And I think Duke's a better player than he was in 2022. You know, we saw some really good flashes in 21 with him. So it's an interesting deal. You obviously have Den at safety. Hussey is a natural safety. I wish he was here in the spring, but obviously he isn't. But I think he's a guy that does provide depth for you. At nickel, you got Knowles and Vance. But if you move Jones there, maybe you move Knowles back to safety. I don't know what they're going to do. I don't know what they're going to do. And a lot of bodies – and they cross-train these guys, right, Chris? I mean, throughout practice. Yeah, they- so the way Marcus Woodson always explained it when he was here was when they're recruiting a DB, they're recruiting him to play corner, and then they figure out who is a corner versus who probably needs to play in that spot, specifically mm-hmm. safety in most cases. But they viewed all guys basically as corners when they were recruiting defensive backs. They, they didn't get overly specific about your this or that. Now, a guy like Hussey is very natural at safety. Could he play corner? Yeah, he probably could. But he's very naturally good at safety. The way he reads field, the way his athleticism plays to the spot, he does those things really, really well. So that's why I think it's just a natural fit. Shaheem Brown's nice at safety because – and Shaheem obviously played a bit of everything at Lake City, Columbia. But Shaheem Brown is a guy that he can play downhill really fast. He can play to all parts of the field. It's a little wild and uncontrolled at this point still as he's (laughs) learning. But – there's a lot to like there. There's a lot that I can tap into. And, you know, as Kev was talking about earlier, where if you can get more creative with your safety, Shaheem's the kind of dude that allows creativity because he is a willingly physical participant. He does haul ass around the football field. Mm-hmm. The key with him is being responsible in his duties consistently and not having the gaps that come with being a young player playing in the back half. 
Adam, what do you think about Dent and Brown playing together as a starting safety tandem? Do you kind of like is is Shaheem kind of like uh, like a Jamie Robinson replacement due to his versatility? Yeah. Do we think that he will be playing next to Dent in the starting lineup? Will he be the first guy off the bench? What, what do you think we do at safety, which has been a pretty bright spot, I think, of FSU's defense, yeah. and it's had to be with how much stress they put on him to limit explosive plays. So you're gonna you're, Dent's gonna be down for a little bit. He. I think it was reported coming out of the bowl game that he had an, an injury to his foot. Uh, so you're, he's going to be probably limited through. He's probably going to be out through the spring. You're probably not going to see a lot of him through the spring. So they're going to get a, a chance to work a lot of guys back here. Um, I think Shaheem's best role is in a hybrid role. Uh, he got a lot of burn at safety in the second half of the year, which was great when, when Dent was being, I don't know what was going on, if he was injured or what, what the story was necessarily. Yes, um, in and out. Yeah, he was he was in and out of the lineup, and Shaheem was able to get in there and get a lot of valuable snaps. I think Shai, they play a ton of nickel, they play a ton of dime. And they they did a lot of this where they wanted to put you know they would put Jamie. Their best defense last year was when they were able to put Jamie up at the nickel uh, corner spot and play Shaheem and um, Dent behind him. Yeah, so I think trying to get I think trying to get uh, Shaheem in that nickel role would be very valuable for him. Let him continue to grow, but let him let him flourish in that spot, blitzing him, uh, letting him have some flat responsibilities and covering and not necessarily playing deep half, deep middle all the time. I think that that would be a strength for him this year. But, I mean, it's going to be what? It's going to be his third year in the program. I think it's fair to expect that he's going to take another step forward, and he showed a lot of flashes this year. So <laughs> I think you could put a lot on this plate and be okay. I'm curious to see... Dent's the one. He's been so up and down. When he's good, he's really good. But he hasn't been great against the run. We saw against Clemson, he missed a lot of tackles. He's going to miss some time. Obviously, you're bringing him back, and he and he's the expectation is that he's going to start. But what about behind him? What are you What are you going to develop behind him? Uh, you know, you say that, and I do agree because we saw the inconsistency. But man, you saw those explosive plays ratchet up when he was I, out. I man, there's something yep. to that. I think I so. I, I agree. Not perfect. I, to me, this is the most interesting part. This is my most interesting position battle of the spring. And it's not really a battle. Just what do you do with, like, defensive line? It almost doesn't matter. Like, all a lot of these guys are surefire or super talented. Whatever combination you put out there is going to produce. This one, you've got a mix of dudes like Cypress who are surefire, guys like Green who are solid but could be moved, Duke Cooper, guys like bounce back guys, guys that have been in, like, what they're going to do back there. And hopefully, it won't matter as much because that front four is going to be so dominant that you can get a little funky with that. But that's what I'm really that that's the most interesting positional like storyline of the spring to me. Do you guys agree with that? Yes, wholeheartedly. One, you got a new coach at the position that naturally mm-hmm. brings some intrigue to it all. A uh, new voice in that room. I'm very interested to see how it takes hold. There are guys in that room who have talent who haven't done much with it or struggled to do much with it a season ago that you want to see who and what you got. And, uh, you know, I, at the same time, I also want to see how much they move dudes around mm-hmm. and you've, you've got a couple youngsters, Kenton Kirkland's coming in, mm-hmm. Quindarius Jones, you know, Quindarius Jones has a lot of intrigue to him in his own right. Cause he's very athletic, very long, but man, that's a massive step up from the ball. He's playing in Mississippi. So we shall see, but uh, yeah, I, I think, 
going into the spring to me, the two storylines of like, oh, this is going to be ultra interesting in the sense of intrigue is secondary and tight end. Because while the tight end room didn't bring a whole lot to the table last year, and the secondary is the group where if they take a big step with what you think you have up front, then your defense can almost certainly take a step itself. So, Chris, let's talk about this. Let's end this with what we expect right now with the limited information that we have. But the people love us to prognosticate because that's what they pay the subscriptions for, and it's a fun word for me to say. So, Chris, extrapolate, prognosticate. Ceiling and floor for Florida State's defensive unit last uh, coming up this next year, 2023. Obviously, I think we all agree, better. Uh, yes, they're going to be better. I How think they've better? done a very. I think they've done a very good job addressing a lot of needs and improving depth, which is always important. The key for them is figuring out that back half, and whether that's going to get a safety or maybe even another corner, be it a portal down the stretch, that will be interesting to see. I think some of that will be determined by one who enters the portal, and then two, what they see in the spring from the group they have. You know, Az Thomas takes the next step. Cooper improves. Uh, you know, you get another lockdown corner opposite of what you believe you're getting in Cyprus, and that changes a whole lot of dynamics for you. We don't think they're done yet in the transfer portal on defense. No, I think they. Uh, I think they'll keep their eyes out there. I think offensive tackle, somebody on defense in the back half, almost certainly in the secondary, are things that they're going to continue to look at. We know they're looking at linebackers, both high school and transfer types. Okay. So not quite done yet. Kevin, what do you think? What do you think is the ceiling and the floor of this unit? That's not even done yet. I think last year you saw a team that really was banking on the defensive line being elite so they could kind of cover some deficiencies they knew they had at corner. Um, And when Fabian Levin went down, that defense just could no longer be – it it could no longer function at that level. Right. Right. Chris really didn't agree with me, so he left. Yeah, well, it's just, you, you're, you're always just like, you're literally just a hot take machine, so it was too much for him to handle, yeah. Yeah, so they were really banking on the defensive line to, to work out, and even after the LSU game, me and AB, I remember texting with AB, and we were both like, I actually love that they're, they're playing these six-man boxes. You can mm-hmm. really trust this defensive line. And then Verse <laughs> gets banged up, Lovett goes out for a few of the key games, and all of a sudden, you you can't trust your secondary or your defensive line to win Tough matchups spot. against good teams, and so you can't you can't scheme your way out of that. At the end of the day, you can you can maybe try to like nickel and dime your way to some cheap turnovers and stuff, and you'll see some teams do that. But I feel like they felt like they could be solid enough to to win games even without that elite defense. But this year, you're going to have an elite defensive line. It would have to take a huge a huge series of injuries to to mess with your defensive line yeah and now you have you upgraded at Fentral Cyprus and so i think the secondary is still kind of your weak spot here but i think that you're going to kind of be able to get away with it you have a defensive line that should be able to win you ball games and have an elite defense if, if you're able to bring in a safety that somewhat replaces Jamie Robinson, then you're talking about a really good defense. Really, really good. Adam, what do you think? We got a potential to be like a top 15, top 10 unit maybe on defense? Yeah, I mean, I think top 25 probably, 20, 25, that range. Um, I want to see it before I believe it. Uh, I want to see Uh, that. I'm so skeptical. No, 
I'm not skeptical. I've been very uh, skeptical, outspoken that I believe in Adam Four. I want to see him. I want to see him bring that variety back. Um, I want to see him become offensive minded. Can we see a fire zone for once? Yeah, I I want to see that. And spicy. I know it's in there because I've seen him run it at previous stops. I want to see the Florida State again. Um, So that's kind of where I'm at for for that. But the talent level has gone through the roof right now. Your front should dominate football games. Um, You you shouldn't be getting pushed around anymore. There there shouldn't be any games where teams run for 200-plus yards on you. If that happens, then we've got a big problem. I want to see how it all gels together. That's a big thing on defense that people don't talk about. We're talking about moving parts and this guy going here and a new secondary coach. There's a lot of new voices and a lot of new communication on that back end. And on AB's point there, Jamie Robinson was a cleanup crew for this year. When things went wrong, he tended to clean it up, and they obviously lose that with him going pro. Uh, Not that I don't think the talent of the group as a whole is going to be better, but I don't know if there's that dude who when it does go sideways, he's kind of their savior backside. Yeah, And I thought at times he freelanced too, and I think that that hurt them at times. Um, And I think that they kind of talked around it a little bit, but it it was I thought it was evident at times. But anyway – the the voices they've got to get all that figured out. They've got an off you know they've got an off season to do it. Get these guys, but you're you're gonna you're not gonna know where these pieces are all gonna fit until game one. You're getting out there game one against LSU. I do worry about that a little bit that it impacts the beginning part of your season. Hopefully, uh, Coach Sertain gets in here early, gets this stuff cleaned up, gets them communicating well. I think having a guy that they're gonna trust and believe in in that room is gonna go a long way for them. I didn't. I didn't think that the discipline and accountability was always on point for that room, and I think that hopefully that's going to come, and that will make a big difference for D bag play. The D line alone, though, is going to carry the carry the day for these guys. If you're if you're great up front, it means the world, uh, and I think they're going to be great up front. And I'd be. I, I like what you say, and I think too. I'd be really worried about that. All the new pieces fitting together aspect a lot more if you didn't retain both love it in verse and Bethune and Deloach, like you're really getting the best of both worlds. When you got all those new things, you got to figure out how they work together, but you've got those veteran leaders, those guys that are the pillar of Mike Norvell's culture, holding everybody accountable. So I'm really high on the defense, man. I still think the offense is going to be better, but man, I, I think that it, it, it'll be interesting to see. I hope that it's like one of those things that it's a d- debate at the end of the year mm-hmm. when we're showered in confetti celebrating our fourth national championship <laughs> guys, Chris left his internet died from all the excitement. So for Kevin little coach, Adam Brown, I am Trey Roland defense wrapped up in a bow. We are good to go. We are going to have all the content your heart could ever desire this off season. So subscribe to Knowles 24 seven. If you're not get on the message board, it's the best. Hit the Knowles 24-7 YouTube, like, subscribe, hit the little ding, smash it. Yeah, smash, smash, smash. <laughs> uh, X's and Knowles uh, YouTube channel, smash, 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 smash. Yeah, Everything like that. That's right. We hit 10K. We're the best. Uh, on the bench, audio, five-star review. Smash, 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 smash. Love you guys so much. Keep chopping, and we will see you here on the next one.